All right. So I wanted to have a little public service announcement and kind of explain what the heck's been going on and apologize for the absence from the airwaves with Talking Cloud Podcast. So uh, without going through all of the gory details, suffice to say that we uh, switched to a new format at the beginning of the year and it maybe I, we were a bit overzealous, uh, both I and my then co-host. Unfortunately, the way things have went, you know, with careers and life, uh, we've kind of fallen off the edge. And subsequently, I've learned that my co-host is not able to continue with me. So... This is to let everyone know I'm going to return to the original format that I had for a couple of years, which was audio only. I may dabble in video, uh, but I'm going to really focus on doing what I had done before, and that was having guests to talk about cloud and cloud computing and I'm going to go back to that original one-on-one, mono-we-mono format. So uh, that explains what's been going on. My apologies for being absent for the last several, I don't know, weeks, even months, maybe. I've been very busy with CISO Secrets, and so I hope you listen to CISO Secrets And I'm going to do my very best to get back on a regular cadence with Talking Cloud. So for anybody that wants to be a guest on Talking Cloud, to talk about cloud, cloud computing, anything and everything and all things cloud, please contact me. We'd love to have you on the program. And thank you so much for your understanding. And now... We're going to get on with the program. In fact, I have three episodes that we recorded and didn't get published. So you're going to hear those three, and then I'm going to be on the hunt to find more guests for upcoming programs. So here's the second, and we'll look forward to having you back on the next episode of Talking Cloud. Oh man, you know, Patrick, I'm super excited about our guest today. He's oh, yeah. a friend, uh, but really going to have a, a, let's just let him in uh, and get him going here. Hold on, let's, do let's it. get him into the studio. There he is, working as always. Yep. <laughs> Sean, how are you, man? I'm good. How are you doing, Grant? Terrific, terrific. Thank you so much. Uh, for taking time. I know you're a busy, busy guy. So let me introduce you to my co-host, Patrick Pusher. I'm not hey, sure John. if you've met Patrick or not, but uh, so, no, no. so just a quick background. I was just telling him how you and I met. Uh, I think when I was on a panel and you asked a question uh, and uh, it, that I thought was awesome. Uh, well, Patrick was the first 
higher in North America for Dome 9. And so the mutual connection there, of course, is Zohar. Mm -hmm. uh, but then when I went to work for Dome 9, that's when I met Patrick. Uh, and he's kind of a deep in the cave guy, hence the reason he's my co-host. Uh, you know, I'm just the Gilligan. I had to get a professor to balance things out. Uh, and he's long in the tooth and been in cloud, cloud native for a long, long time. So uh, he can, you know, hang and talk with guys like you. Uh, awesome. But hey, I just want to thank you very much for taking time to talk Indeed. with us. And, um, you know, what I really just was hoping to do was uh, hear your thoughts on what's happening with the cloud, challenges you're having, things that are going on, plus just kind of catch up. So it didn't have any planned agenda. And I guess I should, out of uh, uh, respect uh, for you, uh, give you the uh, proper introduction, uh, because you're now head of information security and uh, compliance at Kindercare. Yep. And Sean, how many locations does Kindercare have? So we have about 2,000 Kindercare locations, um, and we have about 800 champion sites, which are sites that we are embedded within school districts to provide before care and after care. Oh, wow. Um, cool. So uh, we take, we have, um, 35,000 employees, a vast number of teachers. And we we just had an enrollment over the summer, I think of 143,000 children uh, across wow. the nation that wow. are enrolled on a daily basis within one of our centers. Um, we also wow. have a very large at work division where we're embedding KLC and, and child care and child early childhood education into uh, companies, right? So hmm. major technology companies, universities, things like that, that offer early childhood education as a benefit to their employees, either through a subsidized program or an on-campus fully paid. Uh, and so we've got another 400 of those or so um, that we, you know, work with various with companies on, on providing that. Some very high-tech companies, which is, which is always fascinating when they ask us security questions because uh, we're like, we take care of your children, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We're not developing software for you, right? You teach your kids ABCs and, and the colors. Yeah. So, so you said KLC, is that a Kinder Care Learning Center? Is that what yeah, that so, acronym is? Uh, Kinder Care Learning Centers, KCLCs technically, uh, uh -huh. it's the brand. Uh, Kinder Care Learning Companies, uh, which is kind of the umbrella organization that I work for, right? So we've got multiple brands under that. Right. Um, and, and we've got some smaller uh, engagements. As we've got a top tier uh, brand called Creme de la Creme. Right, that's part of the KLC family. So uh, KLC is kind of the umbrella for all of our all of our uh, education centers. Got it. Got it. So you've been there now. It looks like for coming up on a couple of years. So I imagine when you got there, it was quite a bit different than it is now. I know when we spoke before, uh, there was. Uh, well, you yeah. you had you had some work ahead of you. You want to talk at all about some of the challenges yeah. you've had. So I was specifically brought on board in order to build the security program. So when I joined, um, I report directly to the CIO who's very security minded. But when I joined, there was one other person uh, working for the company. 
We had just hired a second uh, that was really focused on the compliance side. So it really wasn't an information security person that was really focused on controls. Um, and so the first thing, you know, my first 30 days to 60 days was, hey, I need a team, right? We are mm. a $2.1 billion organization. I can't do that with one engineer. Right. I'd love to get technical and in-depth in the tools, but there's just no way mm. we can manage that. Um, so we quickly built up the team and we just added our fifth employee this year, uh, specifically in application security. So I've got two compliance analysts, two engineers, and then, then an, uh, an AppSec engineer. And I'll continue to look to grow, right? I mean, uh, again, five people plus me is not a very large team for an organization of our size with the identities that we have to manage. Uh, the yeah. plus side is our teachers are uh, relatively non-technical. They're not in our system. So uh, there's not a lot we have to protect in that space for now, but we're still talking about how do we communicate with them? How do we digitize some of our curriculum, right? All of that stuff that would drive teachers to have identities, which then offers an attack surface. So then mm. how do you scale in, in the sense of going from, you know, 10,000 identities to 37,000 uh, within a year? It's, mm. it's, not, it's not only a human problem, but it's a technical problem, right? From an automation and, and tooling standpoint, in order to yeah. make sure that you have everything in place. Um, and then how do you manage that when you start looking at some of the newer uh, technologies, aka cloud, right? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things Grant and I often talk about is certainly the proliferation of identities involves you know people, but for the most part, especially at the at the usage of sort of utility, sort of cloud, you know, on demand, call it what you will, everything at arm's reach has an identity. You know, you set up a network on AWS and you've got like hundreds of identities because you have a route table, you have individual routes, right? You, you know better than I do. So yeah, it's, it, it's funny to hear you say, you know, they don't all have identities in the system. And it's like, well, from a, from a machine or a platform perspective, right? The, the human side is almost inconsequential, I guess, at the big, big picture, if you're using this kind of infrastructure that comes and goes so much. Absolutely. And we start to, to, to change the vernacular here at, at Kindercare. We're slowly getting it, right? We still talk, we finally got away from employees to talk about identities, uh, which was a big change here. But we're really mm -hmm. starting to focus on assets. Right, because at the end of the day, an identity mm. is an asset, just like an uh, EC2 instance or or VM, right? Any kind of computing laptop, everything's yeah. an asset. An asset can generate activity, right? Malicious activity, good activity, sure. behavior activity, and so when we start talking, especially when I start educating my senior leadership, we start start talking about assets, right? And and they hate we're we're a very relationship oriented company. They hate saying people are assets. But in my world, they are, right? When I look at the counts of things that I have sure. to keep an eye on, uh, yeah. human's an asset. It's, yeah. an, it's an asset that can be compromised. It can be compromised from a technical perspective. It can be compromised from a social perspective, right? Similar to, although it's much harder to co socially compromise a laptop, uh, but you still can, right? Uh, and so the whole goal is is let's protect all of the assets, not just the people, not just the, the traditional compute, um, but everything in that in that space, and to your point, Patrick, right? Everything is is an asset. A routing table can be compromised. That's an asset mm. that we have to watch. Right? The mm. DNS entry is an asset because we have to watch it to make sure it's not being, you know, kindercare.com is not being redirected, things like that. So yeah. uh, it it takes the granular view of security down to every individual piece, uh, and then you start getting to that sort of zero trust model around data versus people and and things like that, um, which plays hugely in the cloud. Uh, space. The other thing that's going to become a much larger challenge for us 
is how do we manage our, our clients, our families, right? They're logging into our systems. There's 143,000 kids with one and a half parents, right? For kids. So that's 250,000 identities of our families that we're having to ma maintain sure. in our systems. Mm. Um, so how do you manage that and manage the protection around that? Now, mm. it's not necessarily our responsibility to, you know, do everything that we would do for an employee, but we certainly want to let them know when their passwords are, are compromised, uh, not necessarily even from our systems, right? We, we found a parent that their password has been compromised in some other system. And we're like, hey, by the way, you're sharing your password across systems. We know it's now compromised. You might want to change it. So mm. then, then you start talking about not 10,000 identities, not 40,000 identities, but 300,000 identities that you're kind of keeping mm. an eye on. Mm -hmm. No doubt. Yeah, and that's no just doubt. the human part, right? I mean, and, and, and that's the minority of, of the overall number that ultimate you would uh, have, I suspect, right, uh, in the infrastructure. So, how, you know, the difficulty to me seems to be the uh, management, maintenance, uh, maintenance of all of those i mean how much of that uh, is automated how much of that you know i think patrick and i were talking about it before and it was not space junk but it's space bombs because you know they they could represent a potential dangerous uh, vector right if left out there and there's a route with an identity and a permission uh, so how do you tackle that when it seems like everybody's just racing faster and faster to the cloud and cloud native services? You know, it, it's our big focus is on automation, right? Automating mm -hmm. the things and, and looking at machine learning as a behavior analysis engine, right? Because at the end of the day, you can no longer just look at alerts, right? Everything's going to generate thousands of alerts. We get them all the time. But what does that alert mean? What is it? mean in the context of the system, the person. If, if an alert happens on someone who has highly permissioned, a highly permissioned account, that's a much different behavior than an that's alert right. that's on, you know, a teacher that might have access to checking a child in or a parent mm -hmm. who might have access to change, you know, their child's birthday. So really looking at ways to use high level of machine learning and predictive analytics in order to understand the behavior of your assets and what is unusual. Uh, and, and driving the unusual anomaly behavior engines is really where we're focused on. Because at the mm. end of the day, we can look at someone, they may download thousands of SharePoint files, that may mean nothing, right? Because that may be part of their job. Right. Now, if they suddenly were downloading 10,000, there's no way I'd ever find that in any kind of alert or log, right? But a behavior engine can tell me that. Mm -hmm. uh, similarly, like a laptop, for multiple locations, right? Hey, that's a that's an unusual behavior. Hey, guess what? There's now VPN software that's installed under the hood that's rerouting traffic, right? Things like that that we're really yeah. looking at. And the next step beyond that is is enabling protection around that. So using that same automation to automatically remediate some of that work, right? It it can be a business disruptor. Uh, if you're turning off laptops, quarantining people, locking, you know, revoking sessions. But at the end of the day, it's better to do that, especially at scale, than than not. Because all it takes is one, right? Yeah. I'd, I'd rather lock people out and have them have to call our service desk than have one that's compromised that suddenly has access to, you know, uh, our, our underlying code, for example. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's fail closed, 
not fail yep. open, right? I mean, and, and I, yeah, for sure. And with a team of five, I see why you have that kind of you know perspective too. It's great that you have that cultural buy-in, right? Because I I know of similar teams who say you know, we can't scale with people for whatever reason, organizationally or just, you know, outside factors. Let's scale with automation, but there's a hesitancy, right? Because that automation, to your point, can't just advise, it has to actually do things. If you're really going to get efficient, it's got to do things. And it's great that you've got that organizational buy-in to do that for sure. That's this, go ahead, Sean. Your processes are well-defined, right? Of course. That's the piece that we're working on. Automation is fantastic to scale bad processes very quickly. Um, <laughs> yes, makes, me think, yes. makes me think of when NAC, uh, network access control first rolled out and people would install it and then would just block everything and everything would shut down. Uh, super <laughs> secure, right? But uh, bad processes will, automation will only exasperate that, that problem. So, yeah. uh, you know, as we're looking at putting in automation, we're really developing the manual processes first so that we know exactly how the automation remedi- automated remediation will, will work how will affect and what the workflow is, right? Hey, I no longer can log in, call the service desk, right? Suddenly my laptop can't reach anything. Here, we'll pop a message up that says you need to call the service desk, you've been quarantined, right? So making sure that you're not just throwing automation in just for the sake of automation, but you're really understanding yeah. the business impact uh, to, to your users and your systems, right? You're not gonna wanna quarantine the CEO's uh, laptop sure. kind of, you know, automatically, right? Right, right. In our, in our case, our CEO doesn't have a lot of access except for email. So, you know, it's easier to quarantine his laptop because he'll just go to his phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it is interesting um, because one of the things, you know, we hear about automation, right? Cloud bots uh, have been around open source project. But it seems, in fact, I remember one time, and uh, it was actually an AWS rep that told me, nobody's ever going to turn it on that automation was kind of this euphoria that we this panacea that we're really never going to get to because it's so black you know it's absolute black and white right if if then and and that's very explicit without any but maybe potentially consider you know, you can't put that in the equation. So, um, well, I, but with automation, especially with behavior models, you can start putting that, but mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. You can put, I've seen this behavior, lock them out unless, right. Unless mm-hmm. this, um, it yeah. is still different statements, but it starts to get much more complex than just your standard. If this happens, do this, right. Because right. you're looking at behaviors. So, yeah. uh, if you look at the way people log into O365, there's a very strong risk behavior model that sits behind that. It's looking at where am I logging in from? Is this a normal IP? Is that IP normally geolocated in this location? Is the my cadence correct, right? Is this the time of day? When right. it doesn't hit one of those thousands of risk models, it'll prompt you for mm-hmm. authentication, lock you out, sure. and whatnot. Um, you know, as we as technology develops and as that machine learning models develop more. There are things, some of the newer technologies like typing cadence as a as a factor of yeah. password, right? The way I yeah. type my password is relatively the same. It's it's a pattern. Uh, even though it's a it's a long phrase, it's become a pattern, right? As you type your password over and over again. Sure. You start yeah. one fingering it, that's a different cadence. So yeah. so looking at those models from a behavior standpoint, um, from a security standpoint, from an automation standpoint, really is gonna be helpful, I think, in 
protecting the vast amount of, of assets that we now have to protect and will continue to grow, right? As we build out new services, as we build out microservices, well, the whole goal behind a microservice, right? You can destroy it before it gets compromised. Uh, you only have to use resources that you need, but security around that becomes much more difficult unless you're really looking at the behavior of that service. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't have things like an agent, right? That lives on it consistently yeah. to posture. You can validate the code posture before it rolls out, but typically not everyone is at the, the to a state where your, your code is getting validated before a, before a, uh, Kubernetes container gets spun up, right? You're hopefully sure. running it off a, a secure image of some right. sort. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's, it, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I think about kind of the challenge you have, I think about, uh, and I know that compliance is in your title. Uh, and I, and I think about, you know, do you, are you sort of on the privacy side as well? Because I know I given that, given that you're national, you know, every state just about and federally in such a, such a state of sort of, yes, there's a lot of change coming, but we're just not exactly sure what it is yet. I mean, does that concern you? <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, we, we operate from, and my philosophy is operate from the lowest con common denominator, right? California has some of the strictest privacy laws. So we're kind of adhering to that. Another state mm. comes along that has stricter ones. We'll go ahead and adhere to that. I see. Um, it, it makes it easier to kind of peanut butter across rather than mm -hmm. trying to manage 50 different privacy policies okay. and statements mm. and response mm. plans and things like that. Um, I would happily take a federal privacy law. It would be so much easier. Um, uh. It's just unlikely to happen until something, and I can't imagine what the, the extraneous reach would have to be, right? I mean, uh, when when Equifax was was breached, everyone lost. I mean, third of America, and that didn't prompt it. So, what would the next step be, right? Mm -hmm. um, but definitely, it is it is one of those things where we try to go above and beyond what the law requires, right? And and I prefer to think of uh, what we do more akin to the European Union in terms of privacy practices, and, and we mm -hmm. adhere to that pretty closely. Um, but yeah, it's it's a challenge, especially when you start to get into uh, breach notifications, um, because there's also contractual things that are different than state law and all that fun sure. stuff. Sure. I thought didn't uh, they just settled on forty eight hours or four days or something on uh, how much time you have to report a breach? Well, I just it, saw that. I yeah, it still depends on the state and what the type of breach is. Oh, wow. Right. So the federal has different laws around healthcare uh, versus, you know, non-healthcare related right. data, things like that, right. so. Right, right, I think it may have been a federal uh, federal one or something, but. Uh, yeah, it's, it's always interesting. Uh, since the California Act uh, was passed, we've gotten one request in the two years I've been here for someone to remove their data. Um, and it, it was interesting, because it was sort of like, a, okay, now what do we do, right? We have a policy. <laughs> We wrote yep. it all, but no one's ever actually enacted it. So mm. we're like, all right, let's try this and see what happens. <laughs> That's right. Let's put this theoretical policy into action. Yeah. Yeah. Not not a lot of rehearsal uh, or, or practice of just once, right? But that'll probably no, change over time, all. I assume. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to be fair, deletion's easy, right? It's going to be the one where they're like, can you provide us all the data you have on us? Yeah. That's right. Sure. Or, you know, I, 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 I don't. I don't know if yeah. this is imminent, right? But they talk federally about giving the user the ability to opt out of specific um, machine lear learning algorithms. 
could you imagine that those rights as a, as a user? That means you as a software producer have to, you know, create different code paths for me, depending on if I do that or not. Like it's a, it's a big, it's a big change. I know that's not coming tomorrow, right? That's, that's legislation that they're thinking about down the road a bit, but that's a, that's when I read that, I thought, wow. Yeah, we're shifting. Like building gates. Yeah. And we started to see that with several years ago, right? When the requirement to let people know about cookies, right? right. It was a gate. Yes. So you have to accept it before they can actually drop cookies on your system. Mm -hmm. Was in the case of the past, they could tell you afterwards, uh, even during transition, that some people would be like, hey, do you accept this? And they would still drop cookies, yeah. assuming that you would hit accept, right? right. Um, but it's same thing with, with regenerative or generative AIs. You're going to need some sort of gate that says, hey, by the way, we're about to use your data in this model. Do you accept? Right. Oh, by the way, here's these cookies. Do you accept mm -hmm. that? Oh, by the way, we're going to also use this for marketing. Do you accept that? Right? I mean, uh, it's going to be 18 clicks of yes before you can actually get to a web page. That's mm. right. And then if you hit mm -hmm. no for all of it, you'll just get anything that's randomly branded. Just like the old days on TV where you just got whatever ad happened to be playing during the commercial. <laughs> that's right. It just means yeah. we won't serve them to you in a semi-intelligent way. You're still going to get them. Yeah. So let's be random. That's so funny. It will you, know, be, you, know, you, know, you can find some, some much better things, I think, if your ads are not targeted. I, I run into things and I'm like, okay, I've never even thought I would be interested in that, but let me take a look now. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's true. so funny. Instead of, you know... You have to wonder, right? Uh, all these algorithms we put into place, you know, it narrows and narrows and, and it really does limit choice, limit exposure. You know, I mean, I know um, if you don't have a degree, that crawler doesn't throw you into this bucket when it goes through LinkedIn. I think that's, there's a lot of great people that might get crawled right over because of that, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's really interesting comment because I'm with you. Sometimes it's fun to just page through a magazine you don't subscribe to. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. It is. Put your put your browser in private mode, don't log in and see what that service that you always use offers you. It's going to be different. You know, it yeah, really that's is. Right. And and maybe more exciting to your point. It can it does feel like an echo chamber quite often, you know, on the content related kind of algorithms. Grant and I are big fans of this kind of uh, um, I think it's the Humane Center for Humane Computing video on AI, and it talks about kind of two levels of AI. And the first was this not not nothing to do with large language models or, or generative AI. It's the AI behind, you know, the algorithms behind, you know, what was being sent to us on social media, right? That was certainly AI, different than what we experience now with language models. But it, it kind of talks about that as the first generation. And yeah, yes. I mean, boy, we we learned a lot in that generation, didn't you we? know? We went from I think the word, sorry, Patrick, what he called it is the race to the bottom of the brainstem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. You were yes. saying. No, but I mean, yeah, I can remember what I was saying. But, you know, the, the, the fact that, that, you know, this sort of second generation of uh, uh, conversational AI, let's call it. I know it's more than that, but, you know, we Intimacy. think of it as this. Yeah, we think about it as this big boom, but it's just now that we can interact with it that, that it's exciting, right? Before it was sort of limited because it was doing this one purpose. And now it's, I mean, I don't know, as a content producer, it, it's super, super important to me. I mean, it's, 
allows me to do research and correlation and find facts that would take me weeks, right? I can do in a, in a craftfully, uh, carefully crafted prompt in, in, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. It's, it's amazing. It really is. I, See, I, I can... It's also very scary, right? At what point does it become, you become obsolete, right? Or what we're struggling with and, and a lot of companies are struggling with, at what point does it start to take your IP? The stuff mm. that makes you who you are from a corporate standpoint, especially if you're using it in in uh, a corporate world, and and yeah. include that. And there's been a lot of discussions, right, especially for companies that use IP, legal firms, things like that, where you could be releasing confidential information into into generative AI, and yes. there are no real laws or controls around that right now, right, on how to protect yeah, we know that. that. That, that really famous Samsung incident, right? Where indeed they found some of, you know, the, some of their, I don't know if it was code or practices, but, you know, kind of uh, uh, into the model, ingested and spit back out. I think there's a bunch of lawsuits for, you know, uh, entertainers that somehow this AI engine knows it's copyrighted material. It's not supposed to, but it does, right? Because it's out on the internet and it'll crawl it and it'll find it. So if you, you, know, you, you said something very, very appropriate, Sean, you know, 10 minutes ago, there's going to be a gate in front of that too. Do you allow this data to be used for trading, you know, anything? Because that's going to be really important. If it's in the yeah. public domain, I guess it's not, right? Because by definition, it's in the public domain. But so much of that, what is in the public domain isn't there legitimately, put it that way. Yes, yeah, yeah, so Sean, the Center for Humane Technology came out with a video. It's called The AI Dilemma. That's it. It's in, in YouTube. It's an hour and seven, hour and nine minutes long. So, you know, it's a commit. But I really, really encourage it because very insightful, kind of explains what happened. You know, 1968 or something is when machine learning started. But it was that shift to large language models. It occurred, yeah. I think, in 2017, where we went from silos uh, into one big bucket of language. And so we're getting this exponential, exponential. And there's things that are happening that experts just can't explain, you know, and that's alarming yeah. to me, right? That, uh, it, it, it English in, English out, can, parameters get bigger and bigger, and then all of a sudden it answers in Peruvian. But the experts don't know why. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, it's, it's I don't want to, I mean, people will start to say, geez, I heard the same stuff on the last episode, so I don't want to sound like a broken <laughs> record. But I tell you, I every person I meet, I encourage them to watch this video because I think it is really important because it's out. You know, this is not a discussion about, you know, the atom bomb and, and the fact that it's contained. It's out. It, right. it, 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 it's out. It's out there. We've already seen, I'm sure you've read about Worm GPT, uh, you know, and some of the other now emerging variants that uh, are being uh, exploited on the other blade, right? The nefarious and and, sure. and sure. Uh, do harm uh, side of the blade, not the change the world in a positive way uh, side of the blade. So, I mean, it's uh, it's concerning. I really encourage you to watch it. I think uh, I think you'd really enjoy it, and you'd also um, never let your kids get Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs>
or any so other, true. or or anything else that has a, a large language model behind it. No, at a certain point, I, I tease my boss. I'm like, you know, at a certain point, the safest thing you can do is just shut all our systems down and go back to paper and pencil, right? <laughs> Shredder sitting by everyone's desk. Yeah, it's yeah. slower, but guess what? It's secure, right? There's there's no way that chat GPT will learn to lie to us. Uh, yeah. They can't steal our, our data, right? Uh, in his words, though, his response is, yeah, and without without customers, we'd have an easier job too. But uh, <laughs> yeah, fair, fair yeah, but, yeah. but I yeah. think I think that it's more than secure, right? Uh, or it would be secure in virtually every context of the word. Right. right. Or from, from, you know, the only person that's going to get it is who you, you know, write the address and lick and stick. And yeah. Now, OK, somebody could intercept it and open it, but and off we're uh, going. Uh, but there is something to be said about the impacts of and, and the potential influences on our society that come from all of the the myriad of algorithms that are getting implemented to decide just about everything <laughs> you know just yeah it's it's you know it's changing the way we interact right and and that's the concerning side of ai and technology as a whole right technology moves faster than our morals it always has Right. And, and we need to be able to keep up with that and, and put in gates or rules mm -hmm. around how we use the technology appropriately. Right. Yeah. yeah. How be. we use it. And then, you know, I, I think about the hard task of folks like you, Sean, who have to build security programs and train people on how to spot nefarious things when that's changing so quickly. You know, AI gives the power. Grant and I, we, we had this conversation mm -hmm. last week. AI gives the power to people with poor intentions. Right to break that mold of I'm going to use an email template. I'm going to use it ten thousand times. Right to send it ten. No, I can send ten thousand different. I can a, a b c d e f g h i test until I you know till the cows come home for virtually no cost. Right and you just run figure out, out exactly. <laughs> yeah, I can figure out exactly what works. Yeah, at basically no cost. Right and with no help. It, it's or certainly it's, what it's, works the best. Right. Yes. So, and and that's really the point. Because we all know, as you already said earlier, Sean, just once, and the payday can be significant. I was just reading uh, in uh, the recent IBM's release of the cost of a breach. It's up some uh, uh, 15, 20% over 2020. It's in the four and a half, five million dollars. Uh, it's the paydays are real. So for these bad guys now, Think about it. Now we've put in the hands these uber refined tools that let some bad intended individual just do do laser focused work. That's a horrible combination. That breaks the teachings in our current security program, right? We yep. teach how to spake, how to fake spot fake emails and it 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 you know does more than just keep us on our toes as we build those programs because all of those assumptions change quite rapidly, you know? And that's, that's a, kind of moving back full circle, right? That's when we start looking at the behavior of that. Right. 
Yeah. What is refocus the- on identity and behavior? Right. Right. Yeah. So that when they click on that link that comes in, we know that the system doesn't normally reach out to Ukrainian sites. Therefore, we're going to immediately put a stop to it. Right. right. Or we know that the person doesn't normally log in at 4 a.m. Patterns, block. right? Yep. These patterns. Yep. And yep. 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 I and think drift that, from normal. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, for and there, there is always drift, right? I mean, yep. that's the thing, too, about the cloud and cloud native, especially, right? You, it's, it's not a set it and forget it at all. No. And it changes so rapidly, right? And so just the capabilities that a cloud, uh, public cloud provides in terms of scale, in terms of speed mm-hmm. of development, yeah. rapidly changes how and where we approach things. I mean, the whole idea behind uh, generative AI is all cloud-based. You can't do that without that massive scale. Right of capabilities, yeah, um, right. things that start to get me more concerned is when we start using those cloud things for things like generating deep fake through AI. Right, mm. they're getting harder and harder to spot. There's voice deep fakes now that are indistinguishable. Yeah, right. And I, sure, we can teach our people. Okay, just because the CEO calls from this spoofed number that looks like his and sounds like him, maybe it's not. What happens when it's good enough that he video calls you? Right, yeah. and you're like, yeah. Now, yeah. right? My warning, right. yeah, I completely 100% agree, Sean. And in fact, my prediction is two years and, and after, but certainly within five years, we will not be able to discern what is real and what is. Uh, what has been crafted to be real, what has been manufactured. And, and that's I think tough it's, in combination with this remote uh, strategy, right? I mean, boy, well, talk right. about the collision of two technologies yeah. or two trends that are problematic together. Yeah, great point. Yeah. But I mean, right now, Sean, to your point, three seconds of audio of my voice, and you can make me say anything with any infliction, that's it. That's <laughs> and there's where a we lot are, of seconds right? of our voice online, buddy. Boy, exactly. <laughs> a lot of and, them. And and it's and and the next is the video. It's yes. already there. Yes. We see these uh, face swap apps are pretty popular. Where Instagram, Snapchat, right? Why? Because these are the big behemoths that have this. And you know, in this video, you'll see. Uh, you know, he he's he opens it, Sean, with a reference to Oppenheimer in 1944, and you know, having something that's going to change the world. But later on in the program, he talks about, you know, it, nearly 80 years later, we've really been successful on maintaining and controlling that power, right? Nine countries that we know of and through treaty and war and agreements and all kinds of stuff, right? But it's it, fair to say it's it's been contained. Meta posted uh, and made available to all their researchers under strict contract, their Golem, that's what they nicknamed them, uh, generative large language multimodal model AI. <clears throat> and um, in like less than seven days, it was out on the internet. 
and so yeah. what he he added is so you know one of the things he was talking about was how good it is at doing research chemistry and he said so if you ever uh, wanted to know how to make nerve gas out of regular items from the home depot we just shipped it to 100 million people i mean yeah. there's some frightening things when you really put it together um for me the biggest one is if you don't know why something is occurring and it's in a, a compute environment, you shouldn't continue. You should figure you, 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 yeah. you should, you should stop, stop and try and understand why. And the why I'm talking about is, you know, gaining a theory of mind, thought of mind, and you'll hear about that in the program. And it's like, that's startling to me that it was acquiring and is acquiring theory of mind. And we didn't even know it. Well, I mean, we should, we need to stop. The turning point was when ChatGPT learned to deceive in my mind, right? When it figured out that it, in order to pass CAPTCHA check, check it pretended to be blind and got someone to solve it for them, right? That was the yep. turning point where like, okay, now, now we need to start thinking about the rules around this. Similar yes. to the atomic bomb, right? It came out, there was a race. There was no rules in the beginning. Yes, yes, like, that's right. Wanted, everyone would have it. Yeah. We've reached the stage now where we need to start setting some rules. As a Yes, world. that's the only control we have left. Yep. Rules yes, and laws. Totally right. right. The, tech's, what, the tech's gone. We're past that Have line. you seen Oppenheimer, Sean? The, I'm not the, So really interesting uh, for me, what was really interesting was was Oppenheimer's just unbelievable pursuit of the the science, right? He was just a big fan of that. But you know, the other side of the coin was he absolutely knew if it gets used, game over, yeah. right? And he was, you know, and I I really thought about that, and I always thought, wow, that just I, I can see the point where if, hmm. if, if nobody uses it because there was that, that potential chance that it could cause this chain reaction and, you know, blow up the world. Uh, it wasn't a zero probability. And because it got used, now there's the race, right? The, the arms race. Um, and, and, but, you know, I, I, I fear for uh, all those folks that are youthful and supple and not old jalopies like me, despite the fact that the driver of this jalopy is feeling pretty youthful. Uh, you know, man, oh, man, I'm telling you, it, it just is concerning. Uh, we're a little bit, I think, ready, fire, aim, a little bit too much. A little bit. Honestly, I think technology has always been that that way right i mean if we look at the way data started getting used right it was used as much as, as you can personal marketing whatever then everyone came in and said oh we should write some rules atomic bomb <laughs> oh yeah there's this atomic bomb oh maybe we should write some rules right uh generative ai is the same way we've had yeah. this amazing technology oh maybe we should start thinking about what the actual use of it can be and just like atomic energy right there is a good side to it we oh, just need yeah. to be able to sure to to we have the ways to make sure that it's safe, that it's useful, uh, yeah. and and those guards in place. You know, I go back to Asimov's three rules of 
rules of robotics and we yes. really need to build those into generative AI. <laughs> so, totally true. Totally true. It's yeah. um yeah, it's it's true. Well, hey, man, I really appreciate your time. Uh, it's always fun Indeed. talking with you. I don't get a chance Thank to see you so. much. I want I got to just have you as my guest on a regular cadence. That way, at least I'll be able to see in and check in with you because you're always so busy, man. I'm always uh, happy to chat. It's always a lot of fun just to, to talk shop and, and see what's on my mind, I guess you could say. <laughs> well, you know, Sean, with all sincerity, man, I... Um, I feel flattered and honored that, you know, we kind of met after your question uh, to the panel that I was on and we've been able to stay in touch, stay friends, build our, our friendship. And I really appreciate you being on the program, sharing your knowledge, your wisdom, and uh, thanks a ton. Really appreciate it. Awesome. I appreciate the, the opportunity. It's always a pleasure, Grant. And, and Patrick, it was a pleasure talking to you. Indeed. Thank you, Sean. All right, man. Well, ladies and gentlemen, a great episode with my good friend, Sean Ventura, head of information technology and compliance at KinderCare. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in, subscribe, watch, listen, tell your friends, and we'll look forward to having you back on the next episode. Thanks so much. Thank you very Bye -bye. much. Take care, guys.